Part three, chapters thirty five and thirty six from Out of the Shadow by Rose Gollop Cohen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty five. For days, father kept asking mother to tell him all about herself, home, our friends, our relatives. He never seemed to grow tired of hearing it, and she repeated the same thing over and over again. And I walked to and fro from the shop, spent the day there, and what was left of the evening at home, as though I were in a happy dream. Often during these first days I feared that mother's being here was only a dream. Often at such moments I watched her sitting at the window sewing, making a little shirt perhaps, out of a bit of muslin. I would go over to her, lean up against her a little shamefacedly, and ask her, Mama, are you really here in America? She understood. She would laugh a little, press a corner of the little shirt to her eyes, and say, Yes, I am here. One day she said sadly, Yes, all life is like a dream. Today we are here, tomorrow God knows. Then she added, as though she were following a thought in her own mind, Ah, if I had my youth to live over again, and if I had only known that I would have to be in America. What then, mother? Then, she said, as tears rolled down her cheeks and fell on the stitches. I would have learned how to write, even if I'd had to go without bread sometimes. Ah, if at least I could write to my mother. So even during these happy days there were tears. Mother, like Aunt Masha and myself, and others that I have known, felt bewildered and uncertain about herself and everything she did and said during these first days. It was pathetic to see how she looked up to me because I had already been here a year and probably showed off a little. She treated me like a grown-up girl, and allowed herself in her lovely quiet way to be guided by me in many little things. The children were a constant care and delight, especially the two little ones. It was amusing to see how they were impressed by the different things. The little girl, four years old, thought it quite wonderful to have water right in the yard and running so easily. So as many times a day as she could steal away, she would be found at the pump with her shoes and stockings off pumping water over her two little bare feet and rubbing them industriously once on hearing the baby now two years old screaming in the yard we ran out and found him lying flat on his little stomach with his fair curly head under the pump while the four-year-old stood at the handle one little hand pumping with great difficulty and the other rubbing his head often in their play they imitated what they had seen on their journey being lately from the steamer they played crossing the ocean she was the great ocean steamer she would stand in the middle of the yard, her feet wide apart, her hands on her little hips, rocking herself slowly from side to side, and roaring with great earnestness in imitation of the waves. Meanwhile the baby would drag the dishpan and a wooden spoon from the closet, and strut around and around the yard, banging on the pan and crying, Mittag! Mittag! in German, announcing the meals on the steamer. Sister surprised me with her fearlessness in going about everywhere and her quickness in adopting American ways. She found her way quite easily. She would wash and dress the children, curl their hair on her finger, American fashion, and take them out into the street. She would take them along wherever she went. She never stole away from them as I had often done from her. She and I shared one of the cots in the front room. We used to lie with our arms about each other, whispering until way into the night. The boy, eight years old, was serious and sensitive and would not stand for any trifling. He liked to stand out on the street before the door and observe life in America. As no money could be spared for new clothes, the children had to wear out what they had. His shoes, made by our village shoemaker, were in excellent condition in spite of the rough treatment of fumigation and the wear and tear of the journey. 
but shoes more than any other article of clothing showed the greenhorn and so often he was so tormented by the children in the street that he would come into the house in tears he begged and cried and demanded american shoes but it was no use so he tried to see what he could do by knocking and rubbing them on stones but these shoes of the homely strong russian leather could stand it without showing more than a few scratches one day when he went out into the street he did not return until dark and then he was in his bare feet on being asked what he had done with his shoes he said with tears and an expression which said that he was prepared for the worst that he had thrown them away where he did not know himself fearing that under a threat of punishment he might be weak enough to go and look for them he threw them so that he himself should not be able to find them he flung them he said from a strange roof one in one direction one in the other he told his story and stood before father with his eyes on the ground ready to take the punishment which he knew would follow that evening when father went out into the street he brought back a black strap of fringed leather with a wooden handle and hung it up in the big room on the door of father and myself i was the more americanized under pressure i could converse in english a little while he could not talk it at all so he left translating the children's names to me i was delighted i longed to call them by names that were not only american but also unusual so as i sat in the shop i spent many hours thinking and sounding each name in my mind over and over again but when i finally decided on all the names i felt uneasy at the thought that there was no resemblance between the hebrew and the english names so i just translated them into english after all sister whose name was leah we called leah the little four-year-old girl changed from miriam to miriam the baby was azra but at least one i could not resist calling by an uncommon name i called the boy morgan though his name translated was ezekiel i knew i had a leaning towards things which i heard people call queer i felt ashamed and hid it whenever i was aware of it i felt ashamed of my desire to call my brother morgan but neither could i bear to give it up so i called him by that name only when no one was by who was likely to ridicule me mother had been here only a short time when i noticed that she looked older and more old-fashioned than father i noticed that it was so with most of our women especially those that wore wigs or kerchiefs on their heads so i thought that if i could persuade her to leave off her kerchief she would look younger and more up-to-date but remembering my own first shock i decided to go slowly and be careful not to hurt her feelings so one day when i happened to be at home and the children were playing in the yard and we two were alone in the house i asked her playfully to take off her kerchief and let me do her hair just to see how it would look she consented reluctantly she had never before in her married life had her hair uncovered before any one i took off her kerchief and began to fuss with her hair it was dark and not abundant but it was soft and had a pretty wave in it when i parted it in front and gathered it up in a small knot in the middle of the back of her head leaving it soft over the temples i was surprised at how different she looked i had never before known what a fine broad forehead my mother had nor how soft with her blue-gray eyes set rather deep and far apart i handed her our little mirror from cherry street she glanced at herself admitted frankly that it looked well and began hastily to put on her kerchief as if she feared being frivolous too long i caught hold of her hands mamma i coaxed please don't put the kerchief on again ever at first she would not even listen to me but i sat down in her lap and i began to coax and beg and reason 
i drew from my year of experience and observation and pointed out that wives so often looked so much older because they were more old-fashioned that the husbands were often ashamed to go out with them i told her that it was so with mrs felsberg and mrs cohen and this nice woman upstairs i said if she would only take off her wig and mother put her finger on my lips but father trims his beard i still argued her face looked sad is that why she said i too must sin but i finally succeeded when father came home in the evening and caught sight of her while still at the door he stopped and looked at her with astonishment what he cried half earnestly half jestingly already you are becoming an american lady mother looked abashed for a moment and in the next to my surprise and delight i heard her brazen it out in her quiet way as you see she said i am not staying far behind chapter thirty six it was slack in our shop every week mr cohen made me stay home a day or two it was slack all over the city at all trades writers and lecturers now refer to that time as the memorable years eighteen ninety three to ninety four years of extreme economic depression we felt this depression when one day father came home from the shop at three o'clock in the afternoon not to alarm mother who had been here only two months he made light of the rumour that people were out of work all over the city but when a few weeks passed and he began to stay home three and four days a week he looked openly alarmed and began to talk of moving back to cherry street and when two brothers and a sister who were from our part of the country came one night and asked to be taken in as lodgers we finally decided to do it so with our lodgers we moved into a room and two bedrooms on cherry street again this time between jefferson and clinton streets the rooms were on the stoop in the rear the toilets for the whole building were in the yard facing our windows the water pump in the street hall the rent was ten dollars a month we gave the two brothers the little hall bedroom with the window for the sister a cot was put up for the night in the large room with us children they paid five dollars a month so now we felt easier as our rent was only five dollars a month but our easy days were not many one night soon after we had settled in our new home mr cohen called me over to his table just as i was leaving and told me that he had no work for me for the next day this would make three days out for that week mr cohen saw that i was troubled and began to explain you see gussie is a woman and needs the money while you i felt irritated i felt that because i was a child i was paid little and even then they did not seem to think that i needed the money as though i didn't have to live and help support my people i burst out i too need it my people have just come and i felt miserable gussie and i were good friends oh very well mr cohen said quickly take turns then a week passed perhaps when again just as we were going home mr cohen told gussie that he was sorry but there was so little work that there was no use of her staying on i dared not look at her face as he talked to her when he came out into the street she walked away from me without saying good night one by one i watched the men in our shop laid off finally there was just mr cohen and his partner left then my turn came a short time after i began to stay home father's shop was closed altogether every day now all over the city shops were being closed nevertheless father went out every morning always looking bright and hopeful of finding at least a few hours work he would return at noon looking not quite so bright 
he was not discouraged but as week after week passed his face grew thinner and the smile that had always lit up his whole face became rare but still he spoke cheerfully this can't last much longer he would say there must be an end to it it is almost two months now all this weighed more heavily on mother her face was paler her features stood out sharply and her eyes seemed to have gone deeper into her head she was always serious and now she looked as if a dreadful calamity were hanging over us among strangers in a strange country she began counting the potatoes she put into the pot and would ask the children over and over again when they wanted more bread are you sure you want it two months passed and a great change seemed to have come over the people the closed shops turned the workers out into the streets and they walked about idly looking haggard and shabby often as i sauntered along through cherry or monroe street i would meet someone with whom i had worked we avoided each other we felt ashamed of being so idle we felt ashamed of our shabby clothes we avoided each other's eyes to save each other pain and humiliation the greeting of those who could not possibly avoid one another was something like this what a holiday in your shop too nor would they remain talking long both would stand looking away gloomily for a few minutes and finally with a short nod they would walk apart dejectedly every day i saw on cherry and monroe streets grocers closing up and women at the pushcarts haggling more and more desperately over a cent how much are these bananas five for a cent they are not bigger than my finger and the skin is all black oh very well take six take six for god's sake and go i haven't made a cent to-day one day as i was walking on grand street toward the bowery i saw a tall slim man coatless and bareheaded with a rag bag over his shoulder bent over a garbage can there was something familiar to me about him i was on the opposite side of the street and stood looking at him and soon i remembered he was or he had been a machine operator he and his wife had been a merry couple and they had a sweet baby whom they adored they had lived in our old three thirty eight cherry street over the felsbergs i had often been in their home and watched them singing and dancing with their baby now i hardly recognized him a ragged grey shirt covered his back his long thin body was bent his face looked black and hollow but what struck me with horror was that he seemed entirely unaware that he was among human beings he acted as though he felt himself in a lone desert feverishly he stood stirring the can with a stick his eyes looked into it eagerly and his lips were moving as i recognized him i ran toward him a few steps then the full meaning of it all struck me i threw my arms over my head and ran from him in terror one day while mother and we children stood out on the stoop a woman we knew came over to us she lived by doing all sorts of odd things particularly by matchmaking and recommending girls to places of domestic service and as she walked about the street attending to her business she knit a stocking she was a stout elderly woman and wore a kerchief tied under her chin and tucked away behind her ears she barely glanced at me and as her eyes returned to her quickly moving needles mrs she said i have a place for your girl with a very nice family mother's lips drew together tightly without looking at mother the woman kept on talking in a slow persuasive tone there are only six in the family they live on clinton street near grand i think they would pay her six dollars a month will you let her go my mother's face went white no she shook her head she climbed up the stoop steps and went into the house i followed her and asked why don't you let me go mother 
out of the six dollars we could pay our share of the rent for a whole month and have a dollar over she turned away from me leaned against the wall and cried is this what i have come to america for that my children should become servants it was three months now since father and i had earned anything we owed the landlord five dollars for this third month we gave him just what the lodgers had paid us what there was left of our own money we kept just for bread and a little milk for the two smaller children father used to bring the big round loaf of bread from the bread stand on hester street when he came home at night we were always in bed then and the light in the lamp was turned low but i was often awake mother would sit up and wait for him and open the door and he would come in on tiptoe lay the bread on the table and sit down heavily beside it then mother would cut some of the bread sweeten some hot water in a glass and give it to him then she would sit down on another chair near the table and sit staring on the floor in front of her while he ate his supper he used to chew every mouthful a long time and drink the hot water slowly sometimes in the stillness i could hear a deep half-stifled sigh they seldom spoke once i heard father ask how are the children how should they be she answered hanging on to life she covered her face and sobbed in the morning father was gone on his daily hunt for work before we were up he no longer came home at noon now for when he was away he did not have to eat the two older children leah and ezekiel were going to school and the two little ones were kept in bed as long as we could that they might be warm for it was winter now and we had not much covering mother had not brought her five pillows linens and candlesticks after all she had sold everything in hamburg for a few dollars hearing a rumour that she would be allowed no luggage except what she could carry then she heard that the rumour had been raised that the immigrants might sell out when the children came from school they would go out on the street and do the docks and pick up bits of coal paper and wood and then we would make a fire we used to put on water to boil and draw our chairs close to the stove to draw all the warmth we could out of it when our lodgers came home they often complained of the bitter cold in the house but they were not very well off themselves they made knee pants and seldom had more than two days work a week the small school which the children attended was i think connected with a church or a missionary society one day when the children came home they told us that any child in the class who would say a prayer received a slice of bread and honey mother looked at them and asked them to tell her about it sister said there is nothing to tell if you just bow your head as you sit at the desk and repeat the prayer after the teacher you receive a slice of white bread and honey we heard a great deal about the missionaries that winter on grand street at the corner of attorney street there was a big store with green shades which were always drawn in this store we knew the missionaries held a meeting every saturday we heard that the head of the missionaries was a baptized jew i heard my parents express their anger because they came and settled right in the heart of the jewish neighborhood we children used to run past the store with a feeling of fear and then stand at a little distance and look at it i often went back to look inside through a worn part of the shade and saw a man standing up and talking and a few people in the back of the room listening week after week the man preached almost to an empty room still we hated to have them in the neighborhood to tempt our people one saturday afternoon father came home and said that he had just passed the missionary store on grand street they are doing good business these days he said as i passed the door opened and i saw the place crowded with people we heard that any one who went there and listened to the lectures received food and clothing a young man who was a friend of our lodgers used to come to visit them 
when he became well acquainted with us he would come in at any time during the day even when his friends were out of course he was out of work it was six months now since he had earned anything he looked like the rest of us shabby despondent half starved if he happened to come in when we were having a meal mother always invited him to eat with us he would take the bread which like father he chewed slowly and often said this is very good bread he would sit and argue with mother trying to convince her that it was no sin to accept food from missionaries when one was almost starving but do they give it to you you have to show that you believe with them that you accept their religion even so he said the sin would be theirs for making such demands from starving people after he was gone mother said that is all talk he is not religious but after all he is a jew oh god she would say with a touch of pride one only has to look into his sunken eyes to see starvation and yet he does not go to them another month passed and all our money was gone for a week or so we borrowed from our lodgers ten and fifteen cents at a time until we had a dollar then we did not know what to do we would not ask the coal-man and the grocer to trust us we had never owed any one and father and mother shrank from the very thought of owing besides the coal-man and the grocer hardly knew us we had not bought much coal and bread was a cent cheaper at the big stand on hester street on the morning when father took the last few cents he went away earlier than usual and mother walked about with slow shuffling steps from room to room as the children were leaving for school she asked them without looking at them whether bread and honey was still given to the children at school yes sister said to those who bow their heads and pray the boy was already out of the room when mother called after them you can bow your heads and pray then she went into her dark bedroom End of chapter thirty six